welcome to the Exxon Magazine podcast. Dive deep with us into the mesmerizing world of immersive tech, where we bring you conversations with the trailblazers of XR, AI, and spatial computing. If you're curious about what's on the horizon and eager to be inspired, you're in the right place. Tune in and let's explore the digital frontier together. Today, we have the pleasure of connecting and speaking with Daniel Berrick, who is a policy counsel at the Future of Privacy Forum. His work involves analyzing complex consumer and commercial privacy law and policy issues, including sector and technology specific areas such as immersive technologies, open banking, and biometrics. In this role, Daniel collaborates with industry, peers, and the wider privacy community to identify and develop best practices for data privacy. He received his JD from Duke University School, Camelot, and his BA, Magna Camelot, from Hamilton College. Daniel obtained a CIPP US certification in recognition of his knowledge of US privacy law. I am super, super excited about this episode, which is one of those ones that are not very common in podcasts or in topics discussed around immersive technologies, but that I personally believe is fundamental which is related with privacy and ethics. I can't wait to begin. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being here today. We're super, super excited. How is everything going with you today? Everything is going splendid. Very happy to be here, Diane. I'm really looking forward to talking about more about privacy issues and extended reality technologies. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that uh, every episode we begin with knowing a little bit more about your story, your background. What do you have to say about it? Yeah, no, I, I'm really happy to provide that. So I am a lawyer by training in the United States. I'm barred to practice law in Washington, D.C. And going back a few years to when I was in college, that's when I was first exposed to XR technology. I believe it was the summer of 2018. I was just about to graduate and my friend reached out to me and they said, hey, Daniel, there is a game called Robo Recall and there's this VR headset called the Oculus Rift. I've never heard of it. Um, do you want to try it on? And at that point, I'd never experienced VR before. Anyway, I wasn't doing anything that week. So I went over to the library and I tried on this headset and I played this game. And what immediately impressed me from that experience was the level of immersion and interactivity I got to experience playing a VR game. I was able to dodge bullets by leaning from the left to the right. I was able to reach out and grab enemies and throw them. And at the time I played a lot of games and that was not something that I had ever experienced before. So I immediately saw that there was this potential for VR. Going a few years after that, I was in law school and I took a class on privacy law. And that class was a very important experience for me because it helped me appreciate that when privacy is compromised or lost, 
there is more than feeling embarrassed at stake. This is a revelation that my work on XR technologies has proven through analyzing the privacy issues raised by that technology, which I have done a lot more work on um, at FPF. Yeah, wow, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your background. I think that we can understand better now with your background in law, how sure. you ended up in the in the forum and how you are helping people and organizations from your role now to navigate better these circumstances that can arise from the technologies and to help protect humanity and the society. So thank you so much for sharing that. So I think one of the first questions that I have for you is that there is maybe sometimes misconceptions or maybe some people mm. don't even understand why immersive technologies are becoming increasingly relevant in the context of privacy. Um, because the truth is that we have at our fingertips many tools available to create whatever we want now and for anybody, but we right. don't know some of those implications. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, that's that's a really great question. So a few kind of high-level points in thinking about extended reality and privacy. So today's XR technologies, as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, are powered by the interaction of multiple sensors, large quantities and varieties of data, and various algorithms and automated systems, such as machine learning models. And these complex relationships between all these things enable functions in XR from gesture-based controls to eye tracking, without which modern XR experiences will be less immersive or in some cases just not able to function at all. But this comes with risks. As I mentioned, XR technologies are collecting vast quantities and kinds of data. And some of this may be sensitive personal information about users and bystanders. And the collection, use, and transfer of this data to other parties may pose privacy risks to both users and bystanders. And in the future, as the rage right now is all about generative AI, I probably should mention something about that too. Integrating generative AI models, such as large language models, but also others, into virtual and augmented worlds that may include XR also raises novel concerns, particularly around issues such as manipulation, particularly manipulation of vulnerable populations like children. So with all these risks comes the need for a diverse array of stakeholders, whether those are in industry, whether those are policymakers, whether they're academia or civil society, to understand more about these risks and think about what are some ways that we can reduce or prevent some of these risks from arising in the XR context. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Actually, yeah. Um, right now, we are seeing this wave of artificial intelligence models getting even more advanced and more able to create data by itself, which is all the whole idea of generative. And when this gets combined with XR or mixed mm -hmm. reality experiences, then there is going to be ways to perhaps attempt to predict our behaviors. And in right. that prediction, a lot of data is going to be collected that we don't mm -hmm. know at this point, what's going to happen with all of that data and very sensitive data. 
related mm-hmm. with gestures and all of these uh, technical things. So that's a very, very relevant topic. And I, I, I know the um, Future of Privacy Forum has done a lot of work in education, yeah. right? Like trying to... Yes to bring researchers and all of these uh, professionals to help with this. Right. So you have been a part of this, especially in the immersive technologies, and you have created a lot of resources. One of those Mm -hmm. ones have been this infographic of XR data flows. I'd like to know a little bit about this because I feel that that is a very nice framework that we Mm -hmm. might have to understand what are all of these elements that we should take into account when perhaps designing or taking or 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 t- at least uh, having into consideration the creation of these apps so we can you know be more informed and understanding better the the actual landscape of uh, the the XR data flows yeah no thank you so much for uh, that Diana you know we at FPF are really focused on providing resources that a diverse array of stakeholders can use in thinking about what are the privacy risks and what are some ways of trying to remedy those risks. So as you pointed out, FPF published last year an infographic called Understanding Extended Reality Technology and Data Flows, which seeks to visualize how XR data flows work by exploring several different use cases that XR technologies may support from optimized graphics to shared experiences to user authentication. And what it illustrates is that XR technologies are powered, as I mentioned before, by numerous sensors, large quantities and varieties of data, and various kinds of algorithms and artificial intelligence systems. And they may rely on transferring this data to third parties in order to allow for these use cases to work. Now, the reason why we decided to make this infographic in the first place is back in 2021, 2022, there was a significant increase in the interest people were displaying, whether those be just members of the public, policymakers and businesses in how XR technologies work. But as with lots of new technological phenomenon, when things just start up and they're new on the scene, there's a lot of information out there and it's very difficult for these different stakeholders to actually understand, well, how does does the technology work? And if you don't have that foundational understanding of how that technology works, it's much more difficult to appreciate and anticipate what the risks are or could be, and take actions to prevent or mitigate those risks from happening. So that was kind of what we sought to remedy by publishing this infographic. Now, in addition to the infographic, we also published two blog posts which complement the infographic. They explain what the data flows are, but they also kind of unpack what some of the privacy and equity issues are that are raised by XR devices and strategies for mitigating these risks. And maybe it'd be helpful also just to kind of talk about, well, what are these risks? Because I think you hear a lot of people saying, well, XR technologies pose privacy risks, but they don't necessarily dive into that. So let me kind of talk about what the research has shown these risks to be. So there are four kind of primary risks that we at FPF have identified. Those include those related to sensitive inferences, The second relates to the the loss of anonymity, 
The third relates to the loss of bystander privacy. And the fourth relates to manipulation caused by generative AI, which we alluded to before. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Going back to sensitive inferences. So many of the use cases that we feature on the infographic capture or rely on data from which an entity may be able to learn deeply personal information about people, such as their sexual orientation and even their medical conditions. And this was recently corroborated actually by a study demonstrating that certain personal attributes can be inferred from motion data that is captured in the popular VR game Beat Saber. And using deep learning models, which are a kind of machine learning, a kind of AI, the study's authors learned about users' backgrounds, their demographics, their environment, their habits, and health, all from their hand and head motion data. Now, this follows an earlier study, which showed that this motion data can actually be used to identify individuals. Now, why does this all matter? So many internet users like you and me recognize that websites and applications on their phones, for example, can capture large quantities and varieties of information about them, which means that they're more likely to take measures to protect their privacy in these contexts. This understanding, however, may not carry over to XR, which, as we all know, is relatively new and involves novel data types and uses that users just may not be familiar with. XR users there may be therefore less likely to take precautions to protect their privacy. Now, this underscores, I think, the importance of educating users about threats to their privacy in XR and developing technical measures to mitigate these threats. So that's one kind of risk. Now, what's another kind of risk? Well, another kind of risk relates to the loss of anonymity. What this is, is the relation of the variety of data and the large quantities of data that are captured by XR technologies and the ability to track people across context. Essentially, the idea here is that if you can capture large quantities of data about people, it's easier to digitally fingerprint them and track them across digital environments. Why is that important? Well, if it's easier to track people across environments, you can more easily monitor their behaviors in an online environment, which means you can create profiles about them. And using these profiles about people, it becomes possible to make decisions using that profile data. And those decisions could have significant impacts on individuals. A third big issue relates to bystander privacy. Now, this is an issue that has come up a lot in conversations surrounding privacy in XR, and it's the idea that, particularly for augmented reality, if we have an ideal form factor like AR glasses, which we've heard some companies are working on, you can have a situation where those glasses, for example, are capturing information not just about you, the user, but about people around you. Why is this important from a privacy perspective? Well, these non-users, these bystanders, will often lack notice. They won't know that this data is being captured about them, let alone for what reason it's being captured and with whom it's being shared at the time of collection. Now, some companies have sought to address this issue, but this is still an ongoing issue that is uh, attracting quite a bit of attention. Now, finally, what's the last big kind of privacy issue that we at FPF have addressed? 
that deals with manipulation and generative AI, which has been a topic of uh, much discussion as of recently. So in the future, virtual agents, which are powered by generative AI, may populate immersive virtual worlds that you may gain access to using XR. And by adapting their interactions based on observations that they make about users, these generative AI agents could tailor their responses to a person's mood, their personal history and behaviors. And manipulation could also be enabled by changing the interface to influence individuals into giving up more information in XR environments than is needed to provide a product or service. So that kind of summarizes and captures all the various kinds of risks that can manifest or could manifest in the future in an XR environment and that both companies and other stakeholders need to be mindful of. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much for giving us that great overview because there are things that we definitely cannot totally foresee, especially people that is very focused on the tech side, on the technical side of how doing things in the engineering side. I think that this is this becomes a perfect complement of any professional to begin mm -hmm. to apply all of these standards or mm -hmm. some sort of, I guess, guidelines that we should all incorporate from the design side of yep. things. So uh, almost always that we speak about privacy, we end up speaking somehow in legal aspects, regulation. So mm -hmm. this is my next question about what are the legal protections that are already in place for bodily data concerning mm -hmm. XR? Are there any or not? Or what's the landscape of that situation now? Yeah, Diana, that's, that's a fantastic question because the reality of the situation is that whether you're in the European Union or if in the United States or some other jurisdiction, there is no XR-specific data privacy law. And what that means is that these laws were not considered with XR in mind, right? In many cases, these laws actually may be quite old. And what that means for practitioners, whether you're working at a law firm or you're working in-house at a company with the engineers who are designing and developing these XR products and services, is that you're trying to think about how these general rules that are included in these laws and regulations apply to XR technologies. And there is no agreed upon best practice that is specific to XR as to how you take those general laws and apply them to specific XR use cases. And so as a result of that, practitioners need to be thinking about a wide variety of laws that could be potentially implicated by XR technologies. So one example in the EU is the GDPR, which regulates the processing of personal data using automated or manual means. In the United States, we have comprehensive state laws. We don't have a federal GDPR-like law. Rather, what has happened is the states have taken the initiative to pass laws that kind of address most aspects of data privacy. Um, maybe there'll be a federal law one day, we don't know. Um, there have been multiple proposals, some of which have come close, but um, as of yet, we don't have one. 
But in addition to these kind of state level comprehensive laws that are kind of like the GDPR, we also have kind of sectoral laws, such as those dealing with kids' privacy specifically, or those dealing with biometrics. And I can actually talk about the latter of biometrics a bit more because we've actually done some work in this space. More recently, we published a blog post that unpacks the interaction between US biometric data privacy laws and XR technologies, looking in particular at the question of whether and to what extent specific body-based data that XR devices collect and use may be considered a biometric under these laws. And we arrived at several big takeaways that people should be aware of when thinking about how these XR technologies are regulated under these biometric laws. The first is that face templates and iris scans that are used to authenticate an individual's identity are likely going to be considered to be a biometric under those laws. And that's something that you need to be mindful of. Another big takeaway is that there are laws in the US that regulate biometrics that have broad definitions of biometrics and therefore may apply to systems that use face detection, as seen in emerging case law from Illinois, which is where the big kind of biometrics law is, it's called BIPA, regarding virtual try-on XR applications that use augmented reality. And there's actually been a significant increase in cases in Illinois that deal with virtual try-on AR features. Organizations have taken steps to reduce their liability risk regarding face-based biometric systems, including by minimizing the collection of identifying data or processing biometric data on device, as opposed to sharing it off device with servers. And the final big takeaway is that body-based data that's not used for identification in XR, like eye tracking and voice analysis, may also be considered a regulated biometric if the technology and data are capable of identifying an individual. So what's the big, big takeaway there? There are lots of kinds of data that on their face may not seem to be covered by these laws, whereas in reality, they actually may be. Um, but you need to kind of look at what the state laws say as there are differences between them. But these are kind of just a few examples of some of the considerations that companies that are designing and developing XR technologies need to be thinking about when they are engaged in the creation process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. This is very, very important when I ask this question about law. This is because if there is, we wonder, if there is not a very specific regulation that we could abide mm -hmm. for, then who is the responsibility and how that could be controlled or navigated for safety mm. inside companies. So the companies might have some sort of role, important role, and that's why having their develop their standards, their ethics, it's important. Yeah. And uh, what is your opinion? What other mitigations can be in place besides sure helping the companies with understanding and education? What other mitigations could be, even when we don't have the laws yet, very standardized? No, no, Dinah, that's, that's a really great point. And one thing I'll just say kind of at the outset for talking about some 
of the things that companies could consider doing to reduce privacy risks is that even though we're dealing with a situation in the legal landscape where there are no XR-specific privacy laws, there are still obligations that companies need to sort through when they're looking at these more general laws that probably still apply to them in how they interact with their products and services. So a good example of this is the requirement that you find in the GDPR, for example, that deals with this thing called privacy by design. And the idea here is that when you are designing a product or a service, you should start thinking about privacy then and how to incorporate all the kind of requirements in the GDPR into the product or service that is processing the personal data, rather than looking at it as an afterthought only once you finish designing the product or service, because that can actually get you in legal trouble. Um, and data protection authorities, which are the primary regulators and enforcers of the GDPR in the EU, have focused a lot on this privacy by design concept. So it's important to be thinking about the design um, and incorporating privacy into the design process from the outset. So with that said, the question is, well, what are some things that companies can do? So at FPF, we have identified a few measures that companies should be thinking about to reduce the risk to privacy that may emerge when they're designing these XR products and services. The first of these deals with on-device processing. The idea here is that by only processing um, and storing data that is captured from the device on the device and not sharing it or transmitting it to other devices such as remote servers that you or another party controls, you're reducing the likelihood that that data could be accessed by a third party and used for unpermissioned purposes. So you're trying to reduce the risk through a lack of exposure. Another thing that companies should be thinking about is this concept called data minimization, which you see in a lot of different general data privacy laws. And essentially what the idea with data minimization is, is to limit the um, processing of personal data to that which is relevant, adequate, um, and necessary to um, accomplish a particular goal. So in other words, you shouldn't be collecting data via your XR devices or using it for reasons that go beyond what you need the data for, right? So that's another thing that you should be thinking about. Another thing that should be considered when you're creating XR experiences, products or services is um, the practices and monitoring of third party relationships you have. In many cases, you're going to have situations in the XR context where an application, for example, wants data from your device or data about a user in order to provide a particular feature to enable a particular experience. But there are risks associated with this sharing in that it's possible they could use those data for other purposes. And therefore, I think it's very important for companies to set policies and guidelines for third-party developers' data practices and monitoring those practices to ensure compliance 
with the guidelines that you have in place. So those are some things that I would suggest. Now, one thing I'll note is that this is a question that we get asked a lot, which is why I think it's such a great question, Dinah, um, about how do we kind of manage the risk associated with using body-based data, whether it's in the XR context or other contexts. And I'm pleased to share we are presently developing a risk framework in consultation with companies, civil society, and academics for body-based data, such as data about your face, head, eyes, body, voice, that companies will be able to use when developing XR technologies. And the goal of this framework is to help mitigate and prevent the risks posed by using body-based data at the outset when XR technologies are being designed. So we're making some good progress there, but I thought I'd raise that as it's relevant. Wow, that sounds amazing. I'm very excited about that. I'm going to continue even the conversation with you about that because I think that that is something very, very useful because companies, some companies might even know the general implications, but not the how. You know, how Mm. is that I should do it? The philosophy Mm. might be interesting. They they might agree, but not the how. So I think that that could help in that direction. And one of the Mm. things that caught my attention as well is that for one of the mitigations um, proposals that you have there is the use of synthetic data sets for the primary enhancing technologies. Um, Mm. So... Could you please let us know a little bit about what is that? If that is something that you envision could be used in the future safely, or or what are the your research, like your findings that you uh, have collected in terms of that? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Donna, and that's something that we're still very much working on. But for context, just so the listeners understand, when we think of this idea of synthetic data, what that is, it's a kind of technology, which we call a privacy enhancing technology or a pet. There are lots of different kinds of pets out there, like a well-known one is homomorphic encryption. Um, The idea being that you're trying to reduce these privacy risks by employing these various kinds of technology. And one of those is the creation of synthetic data sets. And with synthetic data sets, the idea at a very high level is instead of using actual personal data from people in order to power an experience or particularly in the artificial intelligence context to train models, you could use synthetic data, which is based on this kind of information in order to accomplish these tasks instead. And so the takeaway there is that by using synthetic data, you can reduce the privacy risks, both from a policy and legal point of view, while still allowing for various kinds of experiences and technologies to work. So that's kind of the basic idea. Now, right now, we are looking into synthetic uh, data as one option among many different technical and organizational measures that companies can take in order to mitigate or prevent um, the privacy risks associated with using body-based data in the XR context, but definitely excited to kind of look more into that issue for sure. Yes, yes, that's a very, very interesting um, thing to study for many companies. And I think this would branch me also into just to finalize this is something that it's very understandable and maybe there is enough mm. motivation for bigger companies 
to actually get serious about this because it can cost them a lot of money, let's say, and of course, reputation and many things. But what happens with the ones that don't have that perceived risk? So, so evident there with emerging platforms, very, very small startups, or even independent creators. Do you have anything Mm. to say there for them or, or what are your thoughts on advice or or guidance for these people that also would benefit from understanding this? Sure. So, you know, one thing I'll just say with regards to why smaller actors within the XR ecosystem should care, and it shouldn't be just a domain where larger companies are focused on these privacy issues and how they mitigate them. The first thing I'll say is that in this day and age, my perception is that a lot of people care about privacy. And I'm aware of quite a few companies going beyond taking, you know, the measures of creating privacy policies and providing them to consumers to actually centering their branding around privacy as a way of communicating to customers that privacy is an important thing for them. Because I think they recognize that a lot of people care about it. And as a result of that, Caring about privacy is something that even smaller actors can do to build trust by showing that they're committed to a core value of their customer base. So that's one reason why I think they should care. Um, if I'm to make an appeal that's separate from their sort of you know market strategy, if you will, as to why smaller actors should care about privacy and XR, even if you're a smaller actor, in many cases, the law does not care that you're a smaller actor, but law still applies to you. Um, And as a result of that, just from a legal compliance point of view, it's important to be thinking about privacy in the XR context, so as to minimize the legal risks that are associated with using, collecting, and transmitting personal data in the extended reality environment, whether you're a hardware manufacturer, um, a software creator, or some other kind of entity that's active in the XR ecosystem. Yeah, wow, that's uh, super, super relevant for us. I think that this is a message that resonates with many, many that are um, starting to understand how to incorporate these technologies in their own field of work. And many of them are actually still working for a company. And I do believe that beginning with an individual understanding of this can help the companies inside because it starts with the one that is the designer with the ones that are putting an experience together and helping to educate the rest of people even in companies even when they don't understand so i think that this has been such a great conversation i'm super excited about this one because this is this is the topic that i i am actually trying to investigate and research more of and uh, I wonder if there is anything that uh, you wish I had asked you today. <laughs> well, first off, you know, I'll just say, um, Dana, thank you so much for having me. This um, has been a really engaging conversation and one that I have really enjoyed. You know, the big thing I would just say is when companies are developing and deploying XR technologies, they should be thinking about privacy from the outset. This is important for companies to do 
not just from a legal compliance point of view, such as as required by the GDPR when you're engaging in privacy by design, but as a way of promoting trust with your customers, as a way of reducing the risk posed by using XR technologies from a privacy perspective. I think these are all things that companies should be taking into account when they're engaged with the design and deployment process. And if anyone is curious about, you know, these issues and wants to speak further, I'm happy to provide my email separately, maybe in the byline, for example. Yes, for sure. And I'm also actively inviting anyone to check and study the breadth of resources that are offered by the Future of Privacy Forum. That's how you can put it on Google and find it. And there you will find many resources by many professionals, experts in the area, as well as, of course, the blogs and materials that Daniel Berrick have prepared, especially for you. We, the professionals that are starting to navigate and taking this seriously for the good of society and individuals that are in uh, contact with our experiences. So this has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your time. And uh, right now I'm inviting anybody to share this episode with a family member or friend who might be interested in this as well. This is a lot of value here. And um, thank you so much for your attention. And yeah, thank you so much, Daniel, for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for now.